Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. Gentlemen, how are you doing on this Tuesday? I'm good. I'm, uh, we're not postponing any podcasts. We're, we're, we're moving ahead, charging forward, and I appreciate that about you guys. I, I, dis- I discovered the show Holy Moly this morning. Um, as I usually like to have something on in the background while I work and uh, a nice little mixture of uh, wipeout and mini golf. And I, I uh, as you guys well know, it doesn't take much to get me hooked into a show and I'm uh, moderately hooked. Yeah. I didn't want to be rude in my text response to you because you like what you like, but I was sort of surprised that you were so enamored with Holy Moly. Have you seen it? I have. I have. Um, I don't want to get in a fight about it. It's a, it was an okay show. Um, I felt like, I felt like uh, Tessa and uh, is it Rob Riggle? Is that the yeah. guy? Uh-huh. They're, they're slightly humorous, but I feel like they're, they're missing the mark too much. Well, I, I kind of thought that. And I also thought that there was enough golf to keep me, uh, keep me interested. I mean, they were, they were putting over a giant, uh, a giant uh, chasm and then they had to jump onto a rotating hot dog thing uh, without falling <laughs> in water. So that was entertaining. And we had a local celebrity, I guess a local guy wanted or something. I, oh, I, I don't want to ruin things. He, he won his preliminary episode. Okay. Uh, he may have won it all, which would be a unfortunate spoiler. I didn't, I don't know that. So that I didn't <laughs> spoil anything anyway. So that was my, that was my morning. On Holy Moly, I uh, didn't know it existed up until earlier today. Just just hearing BC's description of the commentary, that sounds like that would be pretty accurate as someone who's never been a Rob Riggle guy. So uh, feels like there's there's uh, that might prevent me from jumping both feet in on this Holy Moly craze that's sweeping Husker twenty four seven. Well, we He's can hit- move on. <laughs> yeah, Riggle's hit or miss, but uh, that hit or miss that also describes uh, Husker recruiting sometimes, right, uh, Schaefer? Sometimes in one day. <laughs> uh, the segue, their slider, slider approved of the segue. If you heard him, <laughs> it's like uh, Woof, good. Yeah, he uh, he liked it. Nebraska had yeah they had a bit of an uneven day on Sunday. They we'll start with we'll start with the one that left. Will Schweitzer from Los Gatos out in California. Outside linebacker, a commit that Nebraska picked up in the late spring. Sight unseen, had never been to campus, but had developed a really strong relationship with Eric Shenander and Mike Dawson, Scott Frost. Uh, Ends up decommitting in favor of Notre Dame, where he then later would commit that night too. A bit of a blow for Nebraska as they are just continuing to try to figure out what they have at outside linebacker, what they need, and, and what this is all going to look like. But Will Schweitzer, a uh, six foot four, 210-pound outside linebacker, defensive end target, was a guy that, uh, again, Nebraska was pretty excited about. And now they have to go back to the drawing board at a position that has just given them as many problems, if not more, as they had with trying to find those four, three defensive ends. I'm not sure why that's the case. Uh, but if there's one – thing here that we can kind of dive into and I'm curious what you guys think on this whether it's Will Schweitzer or what I'm about to say next 
it's also kind of hard for Nebraska to evaluate their outside linebacker position because outside of JoJo Doman and Caleb Tanner, the two upperclassmen, they don't really know, and even with those guys, they don't really know what they have. I mean, they don't know what Garrett Nelson is going to be. They don't know what Nico Cooper is going to be. They don't, so that it's hard for them to determine how many outside linebackers they need to take, exactly what type they need to take. You have Jamari Butler and Blaze Gunnarsson, Javen Wright, uh, Jackson Hanna could be in the picture there too. You have all of these young guys, and you, you really aren't sure yet because you've barely been able to practice. And of course, there's no games on the schedule right now. Uh, you don't really know what you have at outside linebacker. What do you guys think on that, BC? But yeah, they, they're actually quite well stocked with numbers at outside backer with all the guys you went through and then you throw in Javen Wright. But I think you hit the nail on the head. In normal circumstances, you would have had the spring session to kind of evaluate how close are some of these guys, uh, how sturdy do we feel this spot really is. And then, of course, as fall camp would go along, you would get a better indication of that, especially with the new guys. I think of like Nico Cooper and Jamari Butler and Gunnarsson, um, notably. Um, and that's where this – that's another part of what makes this such a freak show. It's not just trying to evaluate the guys on the outside that you're recruiting. It's trying to evaluate your young guys on the inside where normally you get this time to say – yeah, we've got something brewing here. Um, it's not as big a concern as it looks like on the surface, but we don't know that because they can't they can't practice with them. So Mike Dawson, um, he's a, I mean he's got a tough job. He was going to have one regardless, but uh, you know, you did, it's just hard right now because it's such a hazy deal. Brunch? Yeah, it, it's I don't know. I think we've kind of we've hit on the the difficulty sometimes of recruiting, you know, three, four defensive or uh, outside linebackers. And I, you know, there's guys that are, you know, top flight, no doubt guys. And then there are guys that, you know, you, you're kind of asking them to, to play a new position or, or play different from where they've been in the past in high school. Cause it's usually not a, a guy that stays on the outside is not going to, uh, a guy, a guy that's going to play outside linebacker in high school is usually not that position, or in college is not the position in high school. I totally butchered that, but I, I think Nebraska is just in a place where, you know, you, you have to develop guys at that spot. I mean, I, I think the the, you know, you're going to have to really, you know, work hard if you're Mike Dawson to bring some of those guys along, and and that's where it hurts you that you didn't have. Uh, you only had two practices in the spring. You had hardly anything in the fall. And, you know, you, you, you're not really sure, you know, what, what this fall is going to look like for you. I mean, maybe you can do the 20 hours and you can have some on-field time and maybe that helps you develop those guys a little bit. But, um, you know, it, it just kind of kicks the question down the road a little, road a little bit too, where, you know, you, you probably feel good about JoJo Doman, but uh, everybody else in that room, hasn't had to do it yet on a big stage and that, that's a tough place to be when you're not only trying to to find difference makers on your own roster but also going out to find them too to figure out how many you really need interesting sidebar to that if there was a mini spring season would you guys think they would be tempted to experiment more with certain position groups with 
putting different players out there than they normally would? Or is it a case where every time you step on the field, knowing how people react to wins and losses around here, um, you can't really afford that? I, I'm, I was kind of thinking that as Bruns was talking. Like, I wonder if at outside linebacker, let's say you had a six-game mini season, would you be more willing to throw like a – I've just used an example, like Jamari Butler – into to, uh, some reps more than you normally would just to, to kind of build for a regular season, or is that the wrong way to look at it? That, that'll be an interesting deal if we get to that point. But um, that position group, I think of that question with. Yeah, I, uh, I think that really sort of depends on what it looks like schedule-wise. Like, are you getting the full season? Are you getting, like, four games? Is it against – North Dakota State, Western Illinois, and two other teams. Is it against Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Purdue? And so there's there's questions I kind of have there, but I, I do think that it would behoove them to kind of treat it more as an exhibition as opposed to a tried-and-true season. But then you kind of get into the whole escalators of bonuses and coaches' contracts and do these games go on Scott Frost's record yada 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 so uh it's easier for us to probably discuss how they could experiment with various things relative to if it feels like or it's supposed to be treated like a a real season uh you probably won't see that as much so will schweitzer was only part of the news this past weekend but nebraska picked up another wide receiver and they picked up a guy that i'm really intrigued by in Camonte Grimes, six foot two, two hundred and five pounds, refers to himself as a utility knife. Could play offense, could play defense. Likely starts out at offense. I think that's what he wanted to wanted to do in in college, and that was where those conversations were were at with Nebraska and with other schools. And I, I do believe that Nebraska was pretty upfront and letting him kind of decide what he wanted, uh, and, and going from there. They add him to Sean Hardy and to Latrell Neville. Two guys that are six foot three, near two hundred pounds. They've stacked up some bigger bodied wide receivers, not behemoths, not uh, you know, the biggest kind of receivers you could go and get, but guys that give them a little bit more size out on the edge. And then you look at, at Grimes and he could play uh he's played a little tailback, he's played in the slot, he's played outside, he's returned kicks, he plays defensive back, he could play linebacker. I mean, he's just a really good athlete. Brunts, I I kind of have a comparison here. He's not as fast, but this reminds me a lot of Alonzo Moore when he was coming out of Winfield, Louisiana, as part of that 2012 recruiting class. You think I'm crazy on this one? Well, even Alonzo, Alonzo Moore played a little quarterback, too. Um, well, and, yeah. and this guy does, too, on third down in certain packages. Yeah. It's, I mean, 6'2", 205. Um, I mean, it <laughs> – is it is it a Nebraska recruiting question to ask if Nebraska's got too much size at wide receiver now? Is that is that possible? Um, Marcus Fleming, William Nixon, Jamie Nance, and Demarion Houston say no. Well, it seems like all they get is, is six foot two and, high, and and bigger now. So, <laughs> I I it's an intriguing get, and I know in head to head it was basically Nebraska and Michigan for him is what it ended up being. And, you know, Michigan was kind of selling him on, you know, come here, you know, we'll play on offense, play on defense, play all over the place. Um, and and I, I, I'm curious to see 
kind of what Kamonte Grimes' senior season looks like. He's kind of been all over the place uh, in the recruiting rankings. Uh, he, he, you know, two days before he commits to Nebraska, received an, an All-American Bowl invite, and he hasn't accepted it yet. Uh, but at the same time, to kind of see how he would go up against some of the top, top competition in the country, I would certainly be intrigued by. But uh, that's a, another interesting get for that wide receiver room. And it's going to just be real interesting to me how different that group is going to look uh, a couple of years from now. And I, I think that's a good thing for, you know, some of the reasons that we hit on previously. And you know, if you've got a guy that's 6'2", 205, and he can move a little bit playing the slot, uh, that, that's a good weapon to have as a play caller for Scott Frost. Yeah, I just love those guys who can do everything. Um, those Cam Taylor-Britt type guys who uh, they could play on either side of the ball or they did at least throughout high school. And, um, you know, I think – the Michigan even tried to throw the Jabril Peppers name out there, uh, if I remember right, when they were sort of recruiting him. So I like his offer list. I, I don't know a ton beyond that about him and his measurements at this point. So I'm, I'm eager to just to see what happens with him. Uh, but, you know, it sounded like Scott Frost was sort of the difference maker. It came down to the head coach. Um, really appealing to him on this one. And, uh, you know, it was a nice, it was a nice victory after, after getting dented with the Schweitzer news. I thought it, it kind of evened out the day recruiting wise. And then of course you've got the Fedone announcement coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So um, it, it sets the stage for that and, and continuing to possibly load up with some big, bigger wide receivers or tight ends. Yeah, it's the, uh... It certainly sets up. I mean, if they end up with three tight ends in this class, as James Carney has said, Sean Becton told him, and you get Thomas Fedoni and you get Carney and you get A.J. Rollins, those are the three people would be projecting. Those three have Nebraska crystal ball predictions right now. That is a remarkably big group of, of receivers, kind of to what Brunts was joking about. But I, I think – you know, if you're a quarterback at Nebraska right now, you kind of have to like how they've really aggressively attacked this weakness that they've had. I know that uh, there was a lot of grumbling about where things were at. Then you look at how they finished off last year, where you get Omar Manning, Elante Brown, and Marcus Fleming at the very end of the December signing period. And you turn around, and you have Sean Hardy and Latrell Neville, and now Camonte Grimes. And if you add Thomas Fedoni, and, and you see what else they do at, at tight end. I mean, you, you have to feel pretty good about what this passing attack could be in the future. And Nebraska, when they notice they have a depth issue, you have to give them credit in the fact that they seem to, to really aggressively go out and attack it in various recruiting classes. Any of those guys, you know, obviously Omar Manning, I'll throw him out. But the rest of them, none of them have played yet at Nebraska any of, of those five, we'll, we'll just go with the wide receivers, Elante Brown, Marcus Fleming, the last five that they've gotten. Who, who intrigues you the most out of that group, Bruns? Uh, Marcus Fleming intrigues me um, for, the, for the reason that, you know, you look at what he did in Florida. He was extremely productive. And, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, the stats that guys accumulate in high school can maybe uh, – 
not, not be inflated, but, you know, certainly that there's a, an acclimation period when they get to college. But when you look at what Fleming could do and his skill set and, and what he did at a very high level in a, in a very tough area of, of football in Florida, he just feels like a guy that's tailor-made for this offense. And, you know, I, I, I don't have any doubt that guys like Alante Brown, Xavier Betts, Omar Manning are, are going to be productive in Nebraska's offense. But I just feel like this offense, you know, as much as I make a joke about Nebraska having too much size, I think it, if you find the right guy, and especially a smaller guy that can play in space, I really feel like this offense can feature them in a really uh, unique way. And I, I think that's why I was really intrigued to see Marcus Fleming and, and, and kind of how he could get on the field this season. Um, I, I think that's he's one of the freshmen that I was a little disappointed that we're not going to get to to see right away. BC? Oh, probably Alante Brown, just because um, similar deal with Fleming. It's a speed thing. I mean, he he's supposedly one of the fastest guys already on the roster as a true freshman. I got the sense, even though – access was limited and their practice time was limited that everybody in the Husker program sort of immediately thought, yeah, this guy's a dude. He's a, he's a guy who can contribute early on the way Matt Lubick talked about him earlier this summer suggests um, he was going to be a big part of the equation. So I'd say Alante Brown, because I think of all those guys, when we talk about replacing JD Spielman with somebody new, I'm not saying he's going to full out do it by himself right away. That would be too much to ask. But I think, I think he can cut into that. He can have some of that pie. And uh, that, so he, he's the guy that, that jumps out at me probably. Yeah, I, uh, I am really intrigued by Sean Hardy. He's kind of the one that people probably either forget that he's in the class or don't talk about a ton. He doesn't talk much. Uh, terrific athlete, great soccer player, plays – all over the field down in, in Georgia and is expected to have a nice season. He's the kind of guy that I feel like when we do the super six is going to pop up as a, a very trending sleeper. Cause again, at six foot three, 190 pounds and a, and a high school coach who feels like he's one of the best he's seen at that level in terms of tracking a deep ball, it might be the kind of outside threat that, that stresses a safety that Nebraska really hasn't had. I mean, who I is Alonzo Moore. This is Alonzo Moore podcast. Is he the last like, deep threat that Nebraska's kind of had that has really stressed safeties in that manner. I mean, both Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman did a really nice job working the middle of the field and, and attacking in, in those kinds of zones. But Nebraska hasn't had a guy that you can kind of pull a defense and stretch the field with. Uh, and I think Sean Hardy could be somebody in that realm. All right, let's take, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will dive into kind of what's been going on with Nebraska's football parents uh what's been going on with the big 10 and who who we think from nebraska's roster that is really going to be affected by the fact that there isn't going to be a season obviously it's everybody but some more than others so we'll dive into that next on the husker 24 7 podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Gentlemen, we are back. Have you signed the Justin Fields petition? I have not. Have you guys? No, I have a pretty hard standing rule that I don't sign petitions, either in person or online. I'm, I'm the same way. I always say I'm from out of state when someone asks me, uh, like on the street, to sign something. The thing is, it could be for stuff that I even agree with, but I just don't want to sign my name. I don't know why. I don't want to do it. And I, uh, I will just avoid it like the plague. And so I'm not going to do it online either. So way, to participate, way to participate in democracy, guys. I am participating. I'm choosing not to do it. Mm. You would turn down Justin Fields face-to-face. Probably. I don't, uh, I don't see why I, I would have to run and hide. Yeah. All right. I, well, go ahead. Well, it was, a, it was newsy um, with Nebraska parents jumping in. Uh, what are there, five schools now where parents, I think, have uh, – Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Nebraska, five. Yeah. Um, I think I – think, uh, the biggest deal here, and I'm not saying people would be happy either way, but Kevin Warren failed so miserably on his first go-round and answering questions, kind of getting into the specifics of why and providing the medical data they were using. And now, of course, there's a, there's a fog surrounding, um, was there actually a vote? What, you know, who stood where? And uh, so I think that's the biggest the biggest problem a lot of players and coaches have is this is such a major decision and it feels like the answers so far have been sort of generalities even if you agree with them canceling the season or postponing the season you would like to I I would think you would like to hear the commissioner be able to stand up and give some real bullet point reasons as to why and the specific medical data they were using I don't think that's that much to ask and that's what the Husker players' parents were asking in their letter in some part is uh, about that medical data. What are you using? Where are you get, getting it from? Who are the people involved? Um, and I don't have a problem with that. I, 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 and the players, you know that the parents aren't just speaking on their own. They're speaking uh, on behalf of the players who agree with them too. So it's not, I don't view this as a helicopter parent situation, even though I've seen some people try to make those jokes. It's, I mean, I don't think it's too much to, you know, when you have a decision made uh, behind closed doors by a group of presidents and, you know, chancellors that don't really seem to, to be talking about it or can't or whatever. But, you know, it's interesting when you compare the way that the Big 12 and the Big 10 have both rolled out a very similar uh, decision. And it's, I don't think it's unfair to be able to ask why when absolutely no, when no real reason or, or specific reason has been given. And not only that, when Kevin Warren sits on the big 10 network and says it wasn't a difficult decision, well then it should be pretty easy. I think to say, okay, well this is why. And, and that's, you know, now you've got Ohio state parents, um, 
you know, apparently flying to Chicago to try to talk to Kevin Warren in person. I mean, when do you guys think is the next time that we hear from Kevin Warren? Do you think it's going to be uh, <laughs> at, at next year's Big Ten Media Days? I mean, it, it, I don't really know, you know, what is actually going to draw him out on this. I would say he should step out this week, but I don't necessarily think he will. And I think part of the reasoning from his side will be he's going to probably think these other leagues aren't going to make it to the season. And if that happens, um, it would maybe take him off the hook a little bit. Uh, So I I'm guessing that is his uh, might be his positioning to wait it out. Now I don't, Maybe he can't afford to do that, though. There's so much noise. I do, I do think, it. if anything, it's not going to make a season happen, but it might pressure him to do another interview and try to answer some of those questions. Um, the Pac-12, which deservedly so, takes a lot of crap for how they often do things. I at least give them credit. I thought they put out were much more transparent in putting out their medical plan or why the advice they got and why they made that decision than the Big Ten was. And I think that's a big thing of what the parents are asking for here. They made, they made Larry Scott look like a competent commissioner, and that takes a lot of work to do. Hard in the paint at Larry Scott there. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you basically have had Larry Scott just being, like, raked over the coals for the last year about how crappy he's been as a commissioner and all the mistakes he's made. And uh, pretty just and, and deservedly so. And, you know, with, with just the complete bungling of all this, uh, you know, the, the Pac-12 looks like they really had their act together. And that's yeah. like I said, that's hard to do. Yep. Yeah, it uh, I, I don't anticipate we're going to see much response from the Big Ten or from Kevin Warren. I don't know if it behooves them to actually say anything. All it does is it, it hurts their overall conference image, but they seemingly didn't think that was going to be a big issue coming into this. So I, I'm very curious uh, how things play out for the SEC and the, the ACC, the Big 12. They've had their own kind of mini issues over the last 72 hours, whether it was in North Carolina or very high positive testing in the state of Oklahoma uh, or in Tennessee, I think there's some issues on the campus right now. So there's, there's a lot, a lot of bridges that have to be crossed for football this fall, but I don't, I don't look for the big 10 to say anything more on the issue. I, I really don't. I think they, they took their ball and they literally went home and that's kind of what, what we have at this point. And they didn't provide a, a roadmap for what it looks like for the rest of this fall or the spring beyond Kevin Warren saying that teams would be allowed to use those 20 hours which doesn't make a ton of sense either, uh, as Scott Frost has pointed out before. All right, let's finish up the show with this. Brunts, who's a guy that you are disappointed you're not going to be able to watch this year? Uh, could be a new guy, could be a returning guy. And who is someone that you think is affected more than most by the fact there isn't a season in 2020? Yeah, I, I, I think the guy that I, I was wanting to see uh, this season – A guy from last year who we saw just a small glimpse of. I wanted to see Ty Robinson. And and if he 
is ready to kind of be the guy for Nebraska at either the defensive end spot or the nose tackle spot. I mean, you saw the the videos of, of uh, you know, him working out. He's, you know, 320, 325 pounds right now. Uh, and, and, you know, was a huge recruiting win for Nebraska. You know, I, I wanted to see kind of where he was at because I feel like when you talk about that that class that's so important in Nebraska's future, I think he's probably towards the top of the list in that class of, of most important. Um, for, for a guy that, who I think is hurt a little bit, and, and I'm curious to see what ends up happening, Brendan Hymas, to me, um, is one that uh, – you know, would have really benefited from, from this fall. Um, it, you know, Nebraska really believed that he was playing at an all-conference level at the end of last season. He was a guy who I think, you know, would be kind of in that, that Nick Gates camp of a guy who wouldn't maybe immediately, you know, rise to the top of the conversation when it comes to the NFL draft, but would have the potential to have a pretty nice career uh, in the NFL. And, you know, he, he's not going to have that opportunity, at least this fall, to, to put anything on tape to kind of uh, solidify his growth. So I, I think he's towards the top of the list for me of a guy that, that's, you know, going to be hurt by uh, having to sit this fall out. I mean, if it's, you know, everybody else ends up sitting it out, it is what it is. But I, I just think he was a, a guy that Nebraska was really expecting a good fall from. You see, same questions for you. I was eager to see Cam Jurgens just because I felt like he played really well in November, and I thought the offense found a rhythm after he started to get control as the command center of the O-line and the snaps got in. He was starting to get the snaps right and all that stuff, and he understood the language of communicating with the, the guys around him. So I thought he was going to make a big difference for Nebraska's offense as a whole, just the jump he would make. Um, guys I'm really disappointed for, Hymas is one of them, that you could name off any of those seniors. Nebraska's got an interesting crop of seniors where it's not like they're first-round guys or anything, but they've got solid a solid group still from that, I guess it was a 2016 class, that were going to be good leaders on this team and I think have a shot at making their case for the next level. Deontay Williams is a good example, even though he's not from the 2016 class, of a guy who I think Travis Fisher believes he's a pro player and he needs some game film because he missed all last year with the injury. And so um, that's why Ryan Day's plan where he said he wants to start in January and play this mini season through March, I understand how it sounds kind of ludicrous on the surface, but I also appreciate his intention behind it because he, he won. He's got a lot of NFL guys on his roster, but you could say the same around the league. There's all these seniors who need like six, seven games on film that they can show guys at the next level. Look, this is where I've taken my game at sort of the same way recruits are right now, where they're trying to prove this is my worth. Um, college seniors are trying to do that to NFL guys. And so I really feel bad for them. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you guys on all of that. Um, I'll start with with the the guys that I I feel pretty bad for that I you know because uh, it, it kind of all links together. I'm disappointed we're not going to be able to see what Mills was going to do in his second year with Nebraska uh, this fall. I, I really think the way that it was set up 
with that offensive line. I like the way the schedule was sort of restructured with the Big Ten. Uh, I think that he could have done some real damage and carried this team as they kind of let those receivers get their feet wet and get a little bit better. I thought he ran really well at the end of last year. I feel like Nebraska maybe had kind of found itself a little bit in terms of how they can utilize him and, and move forward. And it, it works in conjunction with we don't get to see guys like Bryce Benhart, Cam Jurgens, uh, you know, young guys like that. And then certainly Matt Farniak playing for guarded for the first time, uh, allowing him to move into a more natural position. We don't really get to know where that left guard spot finishes up. I know that that was going to be pretty intriguing for a number of us because you have so many guys. I mean, you have talented people like Ethan Piper that Greg Austin can't help himself. Uh, but mention you have seniors like Bo Wilson. And then you have guys like Brock Mando, Trent Hickson, that have had playing time, playing experience, and weren't going to go away quietly. And then you have the new guy in, in Nori Nuelli. And so it is a uh, – it's disappointing, really, because this offensive line, I thought, had a chance to be one of Nebraska's best we've seen in a while. And it still could this spring if they actually play. But uh, with no plan out there and no word from the Big Ten, we're all just kind of sitting here waiting for – what's next and so I, I think that for me that's most bothersome because it's kind of been an area where I felt like Nebraska's really flipped what they were to what they want to become yeah. any final thoughts would you guys uh swing at a 3-0 fastball uh ahead by seven yeah absolutely the chances of me getting into a 3-0 count seem pretty unlikely <laughs> I am not known for plate discipline did you enjoy the unwritten rule conversation, though, on social media today? It's always good to have that, that pop up. The only thing better than the unwritten rules of baseball are the unwritten rules of baseball police. That's the, uh, <laughs> what I enjoy most. So, um, yeah, and, and, and people who never, never uh, watch baseball um, talking about it, too. I appreciate that. But. Well, here's what kind of cracks me up is that, like, it gets on social media where – I feel like the majority of people, and I'm guilty of this too, the majority of people on social media are going to be completely fine with a guy swinging on 3-0 or bat flips or those things. The people that really truly believe in the unwritten rules of baseball are likely not going to be on Twitter in the first place. Like, I think there's a, I think there's a, a cross section that you can, you can draw there. Am I wrong? Because the people who support the unwritten rules of baseball are all uh... – 95 years old is that what you're suggesting well chris woodward is only 44 so um you know i i don't know i i used to think it was more of a generational thing than it is but i uh now i just assume it's a life ethos i think it always sucks like if a guy hits a bomb off one of your pitchers for like two seconds if he admires it I will admit, I'm like, you son of a, you know, like I'm really, I am angry at him, but I quickly realized like, no, I'm team bat flip here. And if I want my guys to be able to do that, I'd want the other side to be able to do that as well. So I quickly get over it. And sometimes I think these managers go in and they're still PO'd because they just lost a game and they gave up a, a shot like that. And they say something like that, that where they, they, they should have a cooling off period maybe. Um, before uh, spouting off like that, and maybe they'd be all right. Bruins, how does it feel to be rooting for the most exciting team in baseball? Feels good. Uh, I was going to say, if you know the Giants were any kind of uh, 
example. Uh, you got to play it, play the game till it's over. Um, Cause the, the A's came back twice on them in the ninth this past weekend. So yeah, I mean, it's uh we're world series bound, which means I'm, I'm expecting the season to somehow get cut short and canceled. So yeah, the uh, the sixteen and seven A's, the fifteen and eight Twins, and the thirteen and nine Cleveland Indians. What what a time to be alive! And everybody makes the playoffs. Everybody makes the playoffs. All right. Uh, I don't think anybody has anything else. We will be back with another podcast later this week. Be sure to check out Husker twenty four seven. We have plenty of things going up, including some recruiting stuff. Where Angulo just ran another story on Nebraska's efforts in Hawaii. Uh, 2022 target, Brennan Thompson. Have a VIP update there. All of that and more on Husker 24-7. Check it out.